gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we are talking about B2B marketing lessons from Ocean's Eleven and how to use an ensemble in your marketing. Saul makes 10. 10 ought to do it, don't you think? You think we need one more? You think we need one more? All right, we'll get one more. Ocean's Eleven, obviously A-list, star-studded cast, but uh, it's a film from 2001 that was directed by Steven Soderbergh. That is Dane Eckerly head of development at Caspian Studios, and Mr. Hollywood Big Shot movie maker himself. And just to highlight some of the names, because we just keep saying A-list and it's a really cool cast, but George Clooney, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Brad Pitt, Andy Garcia, Bernie Mac, Casey Affleck, and the list goes on. But uh, yeah, for those who haven't seen it, as we've kind of alluded to so far, it's a movie about a group of cons who get together to simultaneously rip off three Las Vegas casinos one night. Our technique of the week is all about creating that ensemble. An ensemble is a group of musicians, actors, or dancers who perform together. Finding the right person for each role and really capitalizing on each person's expertise. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire for this show and many other shows at Caspian Studios. So we have Progressive, like everyone knows Flo from Progressive. She's like the insurance spokeswoman. So they have like this whole crew that they basically put together to tell the story about insurance, which is a pretty boring thing to market to people. But through like all these characters, like Progressive basically created their own ensemble. That is Annika Das, B2B content marketing manager here at Caspian Studios. I wonder if there's an opportunity for a B2B company to do the same concept with their personas and create a character based on their persona. That is Colin Stamps our podcast launch manager here at Caspian Studios, and our marketing aficionado. Look, just out of curiosity, which casinos did you geniuses pick to rob? The Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. The movie was released by Warner Brothers and made like uh, over $450 million at the box office and was a huge smash that actually I think inspired a couple, I think two, two additional films to date. Um, and it's a huge franchise, so maybe more to come. And it was based on the original movie. I think we're originally from the 60s or so. So that part of it, I had no idea. I had no idea that this was a remake. It's like one of those things where, like, as you get older, the movies that you love start getting remade, and you're like, you're like oh, I can't believe they're remaking that. Yeah, so this was originally... The funny thing is, the original cast might have been more star-studded than this one. You have to be very careful, very precise. Mm, Well-funded. Yeah. You gotta be nuts too. And you're gonna need a crew as nuts as you are. Who do you got in mind? Yeah, it was the Rat Pack, right? Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., 
all those guys, which I think was one of the reasons why they wanted to do an all-star cast this time around. But I was reading that um, they actually, nobody actually really liked the 1960s movie that they were like, we can do better, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Let's get into the technique. Meredith, what's our technique of the week? So our technique of the week is all about creating that ensemble, finding the right person for each role, and really capitalizing on each person's expertise. And I think for this movie, it comes in layers, right? Because you have the casting of each actor or actress for the role. And then on top of that, within the movie, you have the heist and each person playing their role in the heist. And everyone has their their specific skills for each part of that heist. So there's two scenes of every heist movie that are the best. It's picking the team. All right, who's in? Frank C is in. And walking through the plan, right? What I'm about to propose to you is both highly lucrative and highly dangerous. It's like the classic sort of scenes that you know is coming in any heist movie and the audience is so fired up for it getting the backstories of all the different people. Electronics, Livingston Dell. Livingston's been doing freelance surveillance work of late for the FBI mob squad. Getting, um, meeting them and the, the mastermind having to convince them to stop doing whatever they're doing. And then also you get the backstory, not just of that character, but their relationship to the mastermind, right? Which is always fun. Dane, you know, from a storytelling perspective, why is that so compelling? And like, we've seen this done like a thousand times. We, we love it every time. Yeah, I think one thing that's really fun about, especially with like the way that, that the Oceans movie does it, and especially with, like you said, with any heist, it's like there's that picking the team moment. And the cool thing about a team is it has to cover a pretty wide array of different folks who all do different things. Like there's a real diversity of character and background and stuff like that. It's terrific. It'll be nice working with proper villains again. So I think in that sense, it's especially for an audience, it's really fun to tune into something like this. It's fun to tune into an ensemble because, you know, maybe Meredith, I don't want to put words in her mouth, but maybe Meredith relates to one of the people from the ensemble. Whereas, like, I think it would be super cool if this was my team that I was putting together. I'm like, oh, I know who I would pick to be the acrobatic guy or I know who'd be the brains and I know who's my wild card. But then also for each of those people, if you're sort of seeing a piece of yourself in one or multiple of the perspectives, I think there's just more entry points for an audience that just make it really fun. And just as a little boy who grew up with brothers and would like plan heists in our backyard, I just feel like we've been picking teams from there to like kickball, you know, all, all through our lives. So I think there's something really just compelling and engaging about the idea of putting together a team, whether it's, you know, obviously for a conversation like this, we're talking about business, but a pickup basketball team or, you know, whatever it is, there's something really sticky about assembling a squad. And this movie is like probably, I don't know, top tier version of what that, that looks and feels like. The Mastermind also has this sort of kinetic energy with those folks that they oftentimes have either found them originally and like did some crazy thing with them back in the day, or you get that sort of like, well, I've heard of you, you know, and like they, somebody told them that they were going to be coming sort of a thing. And they're always like the absolute best in their field. It's like, Oh, this is the best locksmith ever. Or this is, you know, a trapeze artist sort of thing. Who else is on the list? He is the list. And so they're almost like perfectly cast, but also like slightly miscast because they always have some sort of flaw that is always going to come up later on in the thing that they do. They blow their top off at people or, you know, whatever it is. They have like some sort of flaw that they have. 
So, Annika, picking teams, what about Ocean's Eleven and like when they're picking those teams, when they're sort of going over in that selection process, what stood out to you? I think in that specific scene, just the way they kind of like looked at everyone's backstories and like their skills, like their interests, what people were really good at and like what they were bad at. I think especially because you have like all these characters that are very distinct and different from each other. Like you have Linus, who's the pickpocketer, like genius. Like they kind of just play off of like these strengths they have. So to me, it just sort of reminded me of how you can play off of other people's strengths and weaknesses to create like a really awesome team. You could never do any of the things that the other people in the group do. Like you couldn't switch any of the roles. There's no like redundancy. But anyways, what I was going to say is, Dane, you mentioned like every heist movie, you think of your own friends and family. And you're like, who would be the person that would do that? Who do you got in mind? Totally. And I think one thing that's cool too, just to go back a little bit on why it's, why the movie's so effective and I think why it grabs people. Like in order to build that team, like if you're the George Clooney character, you're Danny Ocean, like you need to have a really clear sense of like purpose and what the mission is and how everything fits together around that. And I think in that sense, it's another reason why the movie's great. There's a lot of intricacies, obviously, with hacking into three casinos at the same time at this, you know, the same moment. But the mission's pretty clear. This is the vault at the Bellagio. It's located below the strip beneath 200 feet of solid earth. It safeguards every dime that passes through each of the three casinos above it. And we're going to rob it. The goal is really clear. And I think that's with certain ensemble things. When you've got lots of different personas, you've got lots of different people, you're managing a crew of 12. I'm preaching to the choir, talking to you, Ian, because you manage a company of more than that. But it's like, you need to know what the clear mission is, you know, and being able to dole that out both to an audience, but to the other characters in the movie. And I think that's another thing that makes, yeah, at least technique wise, this really cool and something we can glean from. Because like I said, there's lots of moving pieces, but there's really one pretty clean goal. Um, so especially from an audience perspective, rallying behind that, you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. You're waiting for it to start, you know. But also from the storyteller perspective, you have to make sure that the audience knows everybody's strengths and weaknesses and knows that you know, their mission is, is super clear. And that is a pretty hard thing to do, right? Is that right? That's right. Oh, yeah. It's super efficient. The way the, way the whole thing weaves together, you're right. It, it really is a tapestry. But in the first 20, 30 minutes, like, you feel like you've known these guys your whole life. You know, you're like, oh, this is the crew. These, these, these are the guys. We're, we're doing it. Can you, uh, can you rip through all of the different people, the different, like, archetypes that they have? So, like, the mastermind is uh, Danny Ocean, played by George Clooney. Uh, and his right-hand man is Rusty Ryan or Brad Pitt. The drivers are the Malloy brothers. Although I would argue, and I know you guys have been talking about this, that everyone has their expertise. Like we have the Malloy brothers, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, introduced as the drivers. But they do way more than that if you watch it. Like they're almost like running general errands, you know, as part of it. So I feel like even if you have people who are experts in their field, right, you still need people who are also doing other things as well and kind of able to do more. So those are the drivers. Livingston Dell is does electronics. Basher Tar does munitions. The Grease Man, and that was one of the archetypes that I didn't understand what it like. Just the term Grease Man, I didn't know what that was. But you know, it becomes obvious. The Amazing Yen, which by the way, speaking of like these layers of casting and um, finding the experts, he was actually hired from Peking Acrobats, like in real life. Like they found him and were like, oh, he's perfect. We got a Grease Man. We got a Grease Man. 
And this was his first role. And people argue that he like outdoes George Clooney and Brad Pitt in this. Then we have the pickpocket, whose line is Caldwell, played by Matt Damon. We have sort of the um, inside man or casino employee, Frank Catton, played by Bernie Mac, rest in peace. A former casino owner who also has it out for Andy Garcia's character is Ruben Tishkoff, played by Elliot Gould. And then we have sort of this veteran poker player, um, Saul Bloom, played by uh, Carl Reiner. So those are kind of the archetypes. I don't know what the bankroll for this cast was, but... They sure did spend it on this. Dane, if I was to come to you and say, hey, I want you to tell a story, and you're like, great. Killer heist movie. You're like, great. Like, I got 11 leads. What, did you guys get a group rate or something? You'd be like, you're insane. How hard is it to tell an ensemble as a story? I mean, I think it's tricky. And the thing that they did really well with this one is like, because chemistry is such a big part of it, and there's only so many A-list actors, but the way that they pulled off both getting those names, but then also having incredible chemistry between those people is just a testament to the filmmaking. I've been practicing this speech a little bit. Did I rush it? Felt like I rushed it. was good. I liked it. Team B things harsh. I love the tension that when they bring the one person into the crew and then the other person's like, oh, not that mother effer. You know what I mean? Like, that's like my favorite thing. And then you have that like built in tension. They have some history together and now they're getting brought, you know, bought in, and you know that that's going to come to a head. It's like all those different things, and I think it's just it's so it's so emblematic of life and like building teams. You know, it's just stuff like that that I think is so uh, it makes it like feel so fun and uh, very lived in. Like this whole this movie felt so lived in. Like they had a real shared history. All right, so how the heck does this relate to marketing? How can we use the ensemble in our marketing? Yeah, I think when we talk about marketing and sort of like companies creating personas or ensembles that represent like their whole image or brand as a whole, I think to like commercials and just like TV spots with companies that have used like basically an ensemble of characters to like tell their whole story. So we have progressive like everyone knows Flo from progressive she's like the insurance spokeswoman and then they have a character called dr rick who is kind of like a parental life coach i'm dr rick he advises people on buying homes and then we have um terrence terrell who plays this character is kind of newer and then we have like another spokesperson so they have like this whole crew that they basically put together to tell the story about insurance, which is a pretty um, boring thing to market to people. But through like all these characters, like Progressive basically created their own ensemble. And then when we talk about like A-list talent and celebrities, State Farm kind of took that into like a whole new approach by like having celebrities, like really famous athletes like Steph Curry, Chris Paul, um, DeAndre Jordan, Kevin Love, like all come into like various commercials with Jake as like the overall persona, like face of State Farm. Um, And then they had like these little celebrity cameos throughout, which again, kind of like played to their, we're selling insurance, but we're fun um, sort of approach. And then the one I can think of that is like really, really just like different and stands out. Like I 
honestly can remember this slogan probably for the rest of my life is the Old Spice guy, um, the man your man wants to smell like. Like that's basically their whole persona like embodied through this ridiculously like toned man who's the Old Spice guy. Hello, ladies. Look at your man. Now back to me. Now back at your man. Now back to me. Sadly, he isn't me. And they kind of use like that persona to build like their punchy, humorous brand. So I feel like there's a lot of different ways there that B2B companies can kind of pull from A-list talent or just creating an ensemble by kind of having these different characters play different people that tells the story of your brand. Yeah, one of the ones that I was thinking from a B2B perspective, Salesforce does a great job with all of their characters that they've created. So you have, you know, Softy and and uh, I would say Goaty. What's the ghost name? Um, Cloudy. You have Astro, um, the like yeah. little raccoon guy. Yeah. Yeah, you have all these uh, all these different. What's the? There's a bear. Cody. Cody. Yeah. Yeah. Cody. Cody's the bear. Yeah, but it, it represents all of the different buying personas that they have. So they have all these different people. And uh, or all these different, or not people, most of them are either inanimate objects or animals uh, in cartoon form, but these little mascots. And it's like an ensemble of mascots and these mascots do different stuff together. So it's like Einstein will go with Cody and go do something. And it represents like Cody, which is like that persona and Einstein, which is this other sort of product. They're like, oh, these two things are together now. And I think they do an awesome job of kind of like they created this ensemble for B2B, which is a super hard thing to do. I feel like this is an area that's so fun and ripe for B2B marketers because we have such clear personas that we sell to. And it would be so fun to cast a bunch of these personas with different actors or or um, or however you want to do it. You could cast them with actors or cartoons or, or whatever you want to do. You could do like an animated version of this, but give these people life, give them 3D personalities give them you know backstories you could have the you know it person and the cfo you know walk in the same room and it's like oh not this mrf or again you know what i mean like we have these things already that we've built in this like decades and decades of history working within these these uh these different people and it seems like there's so few people that actually want to do that stuff well i love that salesforce example you just used i actually didn't know that you know, I see the character come up when you open up Salesforce, but I didn't know that there was one for each business audience that they were selling to. Yeah. Is, is that the only company that you know of that does that, by the way? Because that seems like, like, why would you not do that if you're a large enterprise selling to a bunch of different personas? I honestly think from a B2B perspective, Salesforce is the company that's probably doing it the in like the biggest way. I also think that it's there's a cool opportunity to... And maybe this would be in some form of an ad that a business could make, but make some kind of ad like you were saying, Annika, with State Farm and Progressive, where they have their own characters um, and they, there's like a story that they build with each character. I wonder if there's an opportunity for a B2B company to do the same concept with their personas and create a character based on their persona. And similar to Ocean's Eleven, like they can even incorporate some of those those. Uh, you know, cinematic storytelling aspects. Like Ian, you were mentioning earlier, there's always, you know, the fight or the tension between the team. Oh, no, 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 no,
I'm sure that goes on in real life too. So maybe you like play that out within the characters that you're maybe you're selling to multiple personas and there's always like some conversation that comes up, you know, like just just make it relatable to whoever you're you're making the story for. I think that would be pretty cool to see. Yeah, I think another piece here is what Dane mentioned earlier with the shared mission is and you could get a little hokey with this stuff, but if like you're, you know, if your company's mission is to have people spend, you know, less time in email or to be more productive or to, you know, whatever, see their fellow employees face to face more often or, you know, whatever it is, or design better things or whatever, that there's this sort of shared mission. That buying committee, they all want that. Like every every executive at a at a company wants to have like better designed assets for your company or, you know, lower churn on their website or, uh, or for their product or like, you know, higher engagement rate or whatever it is. Like you all want that. So like you all know that that is the mission that you want to achieve. And there's people in that buying committee. Let's say you have like 17 people in your buying committee, but you can kind of narrow that down to six people or maybe you don't even need to narrow it down to six people. Um, but, you know, if you could narrow it down to, you know, 11 people, or whatever, and you could show like this ensemble and you put them like, you know, with their arms around each other, like they're the cast of friends or something like that. And it looks like they're on an ensemble trying to accomplish this mission together. And they all have sort of their different personalities. And especially if you give them a little bit more depth to the character than, than just sort of like, you know, Hey, I'm, uh, everything is perfect in this world. And I think that that's one of the things that we could definitely see more often in B2B marketing is to push into that that perspective. It's like, you know, and then you just roll that out every single campaign. If Dave is always the IT person and Jane is always the CFO, it's like roll them out over and over and over and over again in your marketing and, uh, and you might have some success there. I just thought of another example because I just actually got a notification. I'm learning Portuguese, so I'm using Duolingo, like the app that um, teaches you languages. And Duolingo actually uses a ton of characters to like send push notifications to people who are like learning languages. So they have the Duolingo owl, of course, but then they have like all these other characters that each have their own personality. So there's this one character specifically that I remember, her name is Lily. So in Spanish-speaking countries, you say hello and goodbye with kisses. And I remember her because she's super sassy. So like they'll send me notifications that's like, Lily says it's 8 p.m. and you haven't completed your Portuguese lesson for today. And it's like they know me because that's the kind of stuff that'll make me be like, oh, really? Okay, well, I'm going to do it right now. So they have like all these different personas, obviously some of the characters are like way more encouraging than the others. But I think it goes back to that point of like, not just like finding out what your consumers want, but like figuring out who they want to be and sort of playing off of that to build like this whole cast of characters that fit into like their brand and sort of like do the messaging in like a really fun way. Duolingo always also crushes on TikTok. They, they bring those characters to life on TikTok. So it's like, I weirdly follow the Duolingo TikTok just because it's, <laughs> it's just entertaining. They're so fun. Their Twitter they, account. Yeah, they do a great job. Yeah, like Colin, their Twitter account is hilarious. Like highly recommend following Duolingo. <laughs> great, uh, great inspiration. 
for this, you know, and like not to go too far into, uh, into this being pick a mascot for your, for your company or the most famous mascots all time is Clippy from Microsoft back in the day. Everybody loved Clippy <laughs> and uh, where's Clippy now? I don't know. I need the Clippy fan fiction to be done. I feel like we covered this pretty good. I feel like we, we did it a great, great service, uh, to our listeners. If you disagree or if you have any other ideas, hit us up team at Caspian studios and we'll, uh, incorporated into future episodes all right thanks y'all later stay remarkable my friends well that's it for today i hope you got some good ideas for your b2b content thank you for listening to remarkable i'm ian Faison, ceo of caspian studios remarkable is created by the team at caspian studios b2b podcast as a service caspian also creates fiction series for b2b companies so if you want a business thriller you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood-style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, Dane Eckerly, our head of development, Colin Stamps, our podcast launch manager, Annika Das, B2B content marketing manager, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.